Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. So, um, you might notice over these next few weeks that, that the services are going to be a tiny bit more meditative in nature, just maybe a bit more silence and um, a bit more contemplative, really. But um, I always think it's just such a good idea when we arrive here to, to take stock of, of where we are and what, you know, the conditions of our hearts and minds and bodies as we arrive and to kind of prepare ourselves for the rest of the time that we have. So um, if it's helpful to you, close your eyes and otherwise just look at the light or whatever, the light that you guys were singing of, um, the light around you and the light inside you. But really just to bring to mind the circumstances that you've come from this morning. how you feel in your body, the conditions of your heart and your mind. Bring to your awareness the loves inside you, who you love, who you carry inside you, maybe always, the presences. What particular presences do you carry inside you? or are particularly present to you this morning? What absences are inside you or around you? And consider this morning what your particular point of need is. And could it be that in this next hour together, that need might be met? I have this little mantra these days in my mind that's just simply love and you will be met. So in that spirit, can we bring our best selves to this time together? A loving disposition to love yourself and each other to open your entire being to be met knowing that there's this divine alchemist inside you, inside me willing, reaching wanting to meet us, to see us And now just consider, if your eyes are closed, who's on your left and on your right? And who's in front of you and who's behind you? Notice even if you're aware of who those people are, maybe you don't know. But bring them into your consciousness. I always think that spiritual growth is kind of boring at the end of the day when it's all about our own self-development it always includes others and so right now extend your love your intention to those on your left and your right in front of you and behind you for those of you at home maybe those who are in the house with you, wherever you are, bring others into your circle of awareness.
so that what we do in this time together this morning isn't just for ourselves, but truly is for each other. That we really might grow in each other's light. So may we have eyes to see and ears to hear. May we know that our presence matters. The quality of presence that we bring in this next period of time matters and it affects each other. And in this beautiful atmosphere that we create, we are co-creating this atmosphere this morning. May we grow more truly, more fully into ourselves. We're going to be using the singing bowl a bit during the next uh, few weeks. Uh, all it means, the singing bowl, is wake up. It's an opportunity to get out of one's heads and into that particular sound. And uh, also, before I start, I just want to say how, how great it is to have Sabrina here and to have children downstairs again uh, in the chapel. It is really great that we've got a, a children's work going on. Thank you so much to Siam and Sabrina setting that up. If you're at home and you've got kids around, do bring them in because it's, it's lovely. Um, to have them with us again. The ten ox herding pictures, they're a series of images accompanied by poems used in the Zen tradition to illustrate spiritual development. And they emerged in the 11th century. Um, according to D.T. Suzuki, whose translation uh, we're going to be using here. Now, just a few. The word Zen comes from the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese word Zhan. And it actually, the approximation for the word Zen means contemplation. It means absorption. It means the meditative state. Zen aims through meditation to enable us to realize the true nature of reality. But this period of time, this this series, is not about studying Zen. It's about using Zen tools, and in our case, the ten oxiding pictures, to reflect on the true nature of our reality. We're going to just use those tools to do what we do here in the chapel, which is to look as to see how we can live our lives more skillfully. And we're going to use these Zen tools uh, to do that. You know, what do they prompt us to realize about our lives and the journey that we're taking? Now, there are lots of different depictions of the 10 oxiding pictures. The one we're using today are, are Tomichi Kiro Kirokuru. Uh, but there are others. The one in front of the podium here is, uh, that is picture number five. Um, and you can compare it to picture number five in your, um, uh, in your little, it's, it's, it's herding the ox. And it's quite different from the picture number five in your book. And if you want to see another set, I was given a set by Rachel Dayton. 
And this is another complete set of the ten oxiding pictures by a completely different artist. And after the, uh, um, after, after the um, event here, you can go and uh, have a, a look at those. Um, I came across the ten oxiding pictures 28 years ago when I was training as to be a priest. And when you train to be a priest, a priest, you have to go on a placement. And I chose to go on my placement to Kyoto in Japan, which was difficult for the church, but I managed to raise the money and go to Kyoto. Um, and when visiting one of the Zen monasteries, I came across this little book, um, How to Practice Zazen. So I, it was in a little bookshop at the end. And in it were the 10 ox herding pictures. And that's where I, I first uh, came across. I've been studying them on and off uh, since then. In fact, when I published my first book, Developing Consciousness, I used an adaptation of Picture 7, The Ox Forgotten, Leaving the Man Alone. I got someone to sort of redo it. Trouble was, it was so close to the original. I had to contact the copywriter and ask permission to use it. So I used that on, on the front cover. Available at all good bookshops and on Amazon, by the way. Developing Conscious. But, uh, so I have a bit of a relationship um, with uh, the 10 oxiding pictures um, all the way through. Now, really, the 10 oxiding pictures represent the stages of awakening. They represent the stages of, of awakening, stages on a journey to find the essence of all things. They enable us to see our place in the journey. And like with all these journeys, you know, that we use in the spiritual sense, you know, we inhabit each one at different moments of our lives. Sometimes we're at number one, sometimes we're at number ten. You know, they show us the challenges and the pitfalls of each stage. And, you know, if you think we're already there, it gives us a, a perspective as to how far we might still have to go. It just gives us an opportunity to reflect on where we are. There is sort of 12th century version of spiral dynamics before spiral dynamics happened. And actually, if you look at your little booklet, you can see, you know, the first one is searching for the ox. The second one is seeing the traces and the third one is seeing the ox. That's seeing our true nature. Catching the ox. Herding the ox. And I think that's, that's herding the ox there. Coming home on the ox's back. The ox forgotten, leaving the man alone. That's the one I use for my book. The ox and the man both gone out of sight. Returning to the origin, back to the source. And entering the city with bliss bestowed hands. That is the journey. And that's the journey we're going to take over this next period of time. But if you turn to the second page of the booklet, the first three pictures really are about the search. It's the search for God, the search for enlightenment, the, the search for the ground of all being, for the source, whatever you like to call it. And that first picture is called Searching for the Ox. Now, just for your information, obviously, the ox represents our true nature. It represents enlightenment. It represents God. It represents the source of all, the meaning of life. And for this to be fully realized, 
the ox or the essence of who we are, the essence of who we are has to be found and it has to be trained. Why an ox? Well, in ancient times, just like in India today, the ox was considered sacred. You know, no one gets angry with an ox, even if it, you know, it's wandering around in the middle of the road. And also, if you keep an ox, it takes great patience to, make, you know, to keep the ox under control, as it does with children. It could be called the, could be called the ten children's pictures, I think, really. Um, it's to make sure that it doesn't run amok. And therefore, you have to learn to train it, hence the idea of, of the ox. And of course, the boy represents us on our search. Gian Osho, one of the original interpreters of the pictures, says that just as the eyeless jellyfish uses the shrimp as its eyes to search for food, so I have used these pictures as my eyes. Just as the eyeless, there's an eyeless jellyfish, if you didn't know, that, that holds shrimps within its old folds. And the shrimps sort of carry it around. It hasn't got any eyes. And the shrimps go for the food. And, and therefore, the jellyfish gets his food. And, and he says, you know, he has used these pictures as his eyes to look at his journey. But he also says, recognize that it may be all nonsense. Nevertheless, I present my commentary. And I'm going to say the same thing. What I'm going to say here might be all nonsense, but I'm going to present it anyway as my commentary. We always say here, I present this with a willingness to be wrong. So if you look at the poem on that first page, or, and the little bit of spritz on the first page, the beast has never gone astray. And what is the use of searching for him? The reason why the ox herd is not on intimate terms with him is because the ox herd himself has violated his own innermost nature. The beast is lost, for the ox herd has himself been led out of the way through his deluding senses. His home is receding farther away from him, and byways and crossways are ever confused. Desire for gain and fear of loss burn like fire. Ideas of right and wrong shoot out like a phalanx. So there's a bit of commentary, and underneath there's always a little poem. Alone in the wilderness, lost in the jungle, the boy is searching, searching. The swelling waters, the faraway mountains, and the unending path. Exhausted and in despair, he knows not where to go. He only hears the evening cicadas singing in the maple woods. And of course, the reason it starts here with the beast is not lost is because the ox herd doesn't know that he's an ox herd. The ox herd doesn't know he's an ox herd and he doesn't know that he's lost anything. The beast is not lost because he doesn't feel he's lost anything. It is the stage when we are in the world and of the world pulled this way and that by our desires and not realizing that there is any more to life than trying to get what we want. There's nothing more. I'm just going to try and get what I want. Desire for gain and loss burn like fire. Ideas of right and wrong shoot up like a phalanx. He has the animal mind that wants to survive, that wants to do its best. 
that it's gorging its path and making decisions about which is the right way to go and which is the wrong way to go. The mind is fully in control. And we've all been there. And we can see this state all over the world today. People forging ahead with no understanding that there is anything more than the rational mind to deal with. And like the boy, many of us are exhausted and in despair and knowing not where to go. You can see that in the lostness in the world. Politicians desperately trying to keep up with events, but really lost in finding a way through the problems that they faced. Events and the reaction to events leading the way as with the boy drawn further and further, lost in the jungle, wars, pandemics, political upheavals. And if you look in the picture, but if you look in, there's a clue though. There's a clue to who the ox herd is. Who can see what the clue is? Yes. Sorry? Say loud. The feet are opposite. No, not that. Anyone else? There is a right and wrong to this, I'm afraid to say. Okay, I'm going to say it. The right and wrong. The reason he knows he's an ox herd is he's holding a whip. Can you see? He's holding a whip. He may have forgotten that he's an ox herd, that his role is to find his true nature, but the fact that he's holding a whip tells us, and he tells the ox herd that there is some ox somewhere in the world and that he really does have a purpose in life. His whip represents the purpose. The reason why the ox herd is not on intimate terms with him is because the ox herd has himself violated his innermost nature. The beast is lost, for the ox herd himself has been let out of the way of his deluding senses. He's been led out of the way, but he's still holding the whip, the tool of his profession. And all of us, even if we're completely led astray, have something that we can pay attention to, something that will remind us of our true role in life. We each have a little whip of our own. It might be a feeling of emptiness, a feeling that, is this all there is? A sense of a search that we feel we should be undertaking. Maybe it's just an unease, and maybe that, you know, that there's more to life than the endless grind that we've been set to accomplish. Maybe there's just something there. Uh, there's an interesting quote, but I've used this before, from Bede Griffiths, who says, The mind, Bede Griffiths, the uh, uh, um, Christian monk who went and set up an ashram in India, he says, The mind, in and beyond every formulation by which it seeks to express its thought, the mind is in search of the absolute. The mind is made for being, for truth, for reality, and it cannot rest satisfied in any partial truth, in any construction of the human mind. It is always being carried forward to ultimate truth. And that dissatisfaction is our whip. There's something that's not resting satisfied in any partial truth or any construction of the human mind that leads us in search of the ultimate truth. I can remember myself not being interested in spirituality for the first 25 years of my life. I couldn't care. I got, I got, I got you know, confirmed because you got presents. You know, I, it was the right thing to do. But really, I had no interest in it whatsoever. But I did notice I was in pain. 
I did notice my emotional pain and some physical pain that, that I couldn't really account for. There was definitely something not right in the way that I was living my life. I had a job in advertising and I was sort of living the fast life in London, a sort of version of the sex, drugs and rock and roll, that sort of thing. But somewhere in me knew that it just wasn't sustainable, that it was fundamentally dysfunctional. You know, every time I passed a homeless person on the street, it was like stepping on a crumbs in a carpet when you've swept everything under the carpet, you know. I knew that if something didn't change, I was going to end up there. Because what I was doing was not sustainable. The life I was living felt unsustainable. And you know, that was my whip. It was a reminder of something. But I couldn't remember why, why I was carrying the pain. But I, I was searching for a way out of it. And I think everyone has their own version of that. For some, it's a feeling of emptiness, or what they're doing is not satisfying. For others, it's in their relationships. For some, it's what they're doing in their life, their job or whatever. It just doesn't represent them. For others, it's that similar scenarios keep on coming back. I seem to meet the same men all the time. And there seems to be no way of dealing with it. We all have our whips that we're carrying. And it's when we choose to notice those whips, when we notice the whip, when the oxen notices the whip, then the journey can begin. Then we can be said to be searching. Searching for the ox. Searching for a solution to our problem. But a, a solution that's outside our current way of thinking. Something that's different. You know, that old quote from Einstein, no problem can be solved by the same consciousness that created it. We have to look at something from the outside. The noticing of the whip is the shift in consciousness that's needed to solve the problem that the whip represents. For the boy, his home is receding farther away from him and byways and crossways are ever confused. The whip reminds him of who he is and what he's about. For me, it was the realization that the emotional pain that I felt couldn't really be assuaged by my lifestyle. No matter how much I did stuff, it always came back. I felt good for 10 minutes, and then it came back. And I knew I had to look elsewhere, and I didn't know where to look. I just had to be open somehow to a new way of being. Now, the very fact that you're in this room or you're watching online, tells me that you've not only noticed your whip, but you've made that change within yourself. But as we look around, you know, we can see many people who have not, you know, the level of addiction in the Western world, of dissatisfaction, of the need to demonstrate out our pain in dysfunctional ways like gun violence, or trying to blame others for our situation, or the political, social, cultural, and economic divide that sees people identify with other people who they think can help get rid of their pain, suggests that many in society have not noticed their own whips. And those whips are driving them from their true nature. 
one of our roles here is to point out the futility of trying to solve these problems from the same consciousness that created them in the first place and to encourage those around us to look at their situation from a different perspective. If you don't know what you're missing, then you don't miss what you're missing. If you don't know what you're missing, then you don't miss what you're missing. And even those of us who feel, you know, those of us who feel that we have seen our whips might still be laboring under the illusion that these whips have been fully seen. Many of us are still driven by the desire for gain and the fear of loss. Many of us are still driven by ideas of right and wrong. We have to see that our minds are so clever that they can say to us, you're beyond this. You found your way. You've got a spiritual practice. This doesn't refer to you. You're mindful and kind. You've made the choice to change. There's nothing you need to do right now. But remember, the mind is always looking to be on top. And it's only, it's just always good to challenge yourself again and ask, am I really on intimate terms with my innermost nature? Or have I too been led a bit astray by the deluding senses and sense of self-importance? And then like the ox herd, we can begin our search again. And we know he's serious about it. We know that the oxherd, once he's seen the whip, is determined. Because alone in the wilderness, lost in the jungle, the boy is searching, searching. The swelling waters, the faraway mountains, and the unending path, exhausted and in despair, he knows not where to go. He only hears the evening cicadas singing in the maple woods. He is prepared to go through those waters, over the faraway mountains and along the unending path, even to the point of exhaustion and despair. In the picture, the boy is willing to go the distance. And this first picture tells us the importance of the decision to find our true nature and the commitment it takes. The importance of the decision to find or even refind our true nature once we've realized that there's something to search for, then we have to commit to it. There's a famous commentary on this book done by Yamada Mamon, uh, the 20th century Japanese Zen master. And he says, these days we're often told that we must live our lives with hope. This is very important, of course, but in Zen... The affirmation of the vow is that which is primary. The affirmation of the vow is that which is primary. There are people who lack the fire to bring light into their own future. They lapse into wishful thinking, hoping someone else will provide the light for them. Have nothing to do with this kind of thinking, he says. You must resolve to create that light for yourself. You must affirm the vow never to give up until you have become a Buddha and brought peace to the world. We are not saved by our sartori. We are saved by our affirmation of the vow that we must attain sartori, attain enlightenment. We're not, 
We're not saved by our enlightenment. We are saved by our affirmation of the vow. And in searching, the boy has made the vow. But searching for Sartori, for enlightenment, he says, I love this, is like looking for your glasses with your glasses on. <laughs> How many of us have done that? Where are my glasses? Looking for enlightenment is like looking for your glasses with your glasses on. None, this is the important thing. None of us have lost the relationship we have with the source of all things. None of us have lost our relationship with God. We've just forgotten that we are looking through that relationship and through in everything that happens in our life. You can't remember thinking, oh, no, I've lost my relationship with God. You never lost it. And we'll come back to that later on. But it's interesting to remember you never lost it. It's still, it's, you've got your glasses on and you're looking for it with your glasses on. But we've forgotten both our source and our glasses, both of which are end, at the end of our nose all the time. The beast has never gone astray. And what is the sense of searching for him? That's the other meaning of that phrase. The beast is, no, it's on the end of your nose. Enlightenment comes from the very thing that it's looking for in the first place. As Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Which is why the poem begins, the beast has never gone astray. And what is the use of searching for him? But we, we go back to that as this story progresses. But right now, the vow is to discover that which is important. I love guru stories. And there's a good, good guru story about, about the vow, uh, the importance of the vow. There was a monk named Tairu, who had been in the monastery for six years. Even though he'd been there long enough to become one of the senior officers, he still had not experienced enlightenment. How pitiful. But people in the old days had such totally honest determination. Tiru decided that if the weak Rahatsu, if during that particular week he did not achieve enlightenment, he would kill himself. With this in mind, every night he climbed up to the second story of the Buku Temple Gate to do late night zazen. It was the last night of Rahatsu, the night when zazen lasts till morning. He had resolved that he didn't achieve enlightenment by the sound of the morning board. Of the next morning, he would dive headfirst off the top of the temple gate and smash his head against the ground, killing himself. But although he sat in deep zazen on top of the temple gate, nothing happened. Dawn came. The morning board began to sound. His time was up. There was nothing he could do except throw himself from the top of the gate. He stood up on the roof of the gate. And at the very instant that he was about to throw himself off the top of the gate, suddenly he had his enlightenment. 
In later years, he went on to become a prominent Zen master known as the Great Tiharu of Ibuka. But the point of the story is not to give up on the desire to attain enlightenment. The beast has never gone astray. And what is the use of searching for him? The reason why the ox herd is not on intimate terms with him is because the ox herd himself has violated his own innermost nature. The beast is lost, for the ox herd has himself been led out of the way through his own deluding senses. His home is receding further and further from him, and byways and crossways are ever confused. Desire for gain and fear of loss burn like fire. Ideas of right and wrong shoot up like a phalanx. Alone in the wilderness, lost in the jungle, the boy is searching, searching. The swelling waters, the faraway mountains and the unending path. Exhausted and in despair, he knows not where to go. He only hears the evening cicadas singing in the maple woods. So we're just going to take a, a, a minute just to... I always think, like, we hear all these amazing words. Well, I, I think they're amazing. And, like, sometimes I just want to be with them and let them settle. So we're going to just take a minute of silence before I... Um, I'm just going to throw out some of my own questions just to see how this can land a bit more in us. So we'll just take just maybe 30 seconds of silence and, and um, just see, just notice if anything landed, what, maybe just a word or a phrase or an idea. So in this silence, get a sense of your particular individual life, as well as all the lives of those around you, our collective life, the life of the whole country and the world. But right now, get right into your particularity of your life, your sense of things. And just consider maybe some of these questions and things that I gleaned from Nicholas's talk. The ox herd has violated his own innermost nature. In what ways or way have you taken leave of yourself if you have? Do you feel in any way alienated from yourself? Do you feel any sense of homesickness for a deeper form of you, for a deeper sense of home inside you? Can you hear some kind of call? What would it take 
What does the vow mean to you? What is your vow? What is most important to you? That line, if you don't know what you're missing, you don't miss what you're missing. So can you bring to your awareness what you might be missing? How much of a desire you have, just notice. And I was struck by Nicholas's fleeting line about a new way of being, he mentioned, just be a new way of being. And I wonder, do we have enough being to be nothing? In a way, can we just let go of all our striving to be anything and be nothing? What is the whip in your life right now? Maybe the whip is different now to what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even last week. But can you identify in your life what your whip is? Can you identify in any way that you're turning a blind eye to anything in your life? Anything that you're neglecting, anyone you're neglecting, in any way you feel lost? All of that stuff, Nicholas mentioned emptiness, loneliness, a sense of not enoughness in your life or lack of ease, any kind of pain, all of that. Like, what is your particular whip? Do you feel like you've ever had a sense of your true nature, that you've, you've lived into it, you've felt it, you've touched it? And right now, in this collected presence, can we just feel love reaching into each one of us? It's all about love calling us into our deeper selves, into deeper, fuller life. In your unique and particular way, just ask that in these next days, what you most need, what those you love most need, will be met. That things will come to your awareness. That we as a community would grow deeper in love. And maybe grow in awareness of each other's whips, in a way. Take care of them. Love each other. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you, and if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.